There's a powerful message in that song, Come As You Are. There's the gospel right there. Good morning. Several years ago, I was at a gathering type event, and there were several families there. And as the day drew to a close, uh, there was a particular family there known for unruly children, all boys. And uh, I don't know, they aged and ranged, I guess, from infancy on up to teenager. And uh, so it was about time to, to go, and I watched the father give several um, requests. Let's get your things together. Stop what you're doing. We need to go. And they had a little ways to travel. And uh, this went on for several minutes, and I just observed and watched how the kids pretty much just ignored uh, their dad. They weren't interested. They were having fun. They wanted to stay. <clears throat> so he didn't really have much of a voice in their lives. And then finally, in desperation, the, the father said, come on, guys, look, if you come with me, you get in the car, something the effect. If you're in the car in the next five minutes, then uh, let you watch an R-rated movie. And uh, it, it worked. Maybe not quite within the five minutes, but it was just something that um, that I, I watched and witnessed. And I thought, hmm, I guess that's one way to do it. Wise parenting. That's what we've been looking at in the book of Proverbs. We're doing a little series on Proverbs. And in particular, right now, we're looking at this idea of wise parenting. You know, it's so important to God that his children walk in wisdom that in in essence, he's given us an entire book dedicated to what it means to be wise and to walk in wisdom. You know, the Christian life, life in general, but the Christian life requires a tremendous amount of wisdom, a tremendous amount of discernment and discretion. Because God does not, whether we're children or parents, he does not give us a book that has every possible scenario in it. And he tells us, look, if this happens, this is exactly what you have to do. But he doesn't leave us in the dark either. He gives us principles that we can pull from when we learn those well. We can pull them into any given situation and walk in the light. Primarily by seeking God and his truths. Not just the truths of God, but seeking God himself, truth personified. And that's how we are able to pilgrim through this life with wisdom and discretion and handle the storms that life throws us. So we have to be wise. We have to know how things work. We have to know how life works, how parenting works, how family works. And so Proverbs helps us. With that, it gives us a fighting chance, if you will, to be able to put the pieces of the puzzle together when it comes to family life and parenting in particular. And so we've looked at Proverbs and it helps us be wise. It helps us to be competent in regards to the realities of life. In other words, be able to face the things that we're going to face. And the same goes for parenting. God wants us to be competent parents. He wants us to be wise Parents, we looked at this last time and I brought to our attention basically two points. One is the divine authority that God has given the parents. And there are other things that shape 
children and, and uh, participate in the children's, I guess, upbringing. But God has given the parents the primary responsibility to raise and nurture the children. And then we also looked at the idea of folly. And we looked at folly, and Proverbs talks a lot about folly, because Proverbs says that folly is bound up in the heart of a child. And so if we're going to be wise parents, we have to know that, that some of this craziness and this foolishness, it's not, we can't blame it all on the external forces of society and so forth. It comes from without. There's stuff in there. And we need to know that because that's what's going to ruin our perfect parenting record. And all these wonderful techniques that we have, it's that we're going to hit that foolishness, that childishness, and that waywardness head on. So we need to know about these challenges, and it's important because it's bound up in the heart. That means we have to address the heart of children. We have to do the hard work of finding out what's in there. So wise parenting, that's what we're talking about. And a lot of today's parenting techniques deal with uh, external things, um, the effects instead of the cause, but... The cause comes from the root, and that is the heart. So we looked at divine authority. We looked at folly. We have that under our belts. And so we're going to continue this morning in this book. And we're going to look at two more things. uh, Instruction, parental instruction, and also parental correction. We'll look at instruction this morning, and we'll look at correction next time. So we're talking about wise parenting Parents offering instruction to the children. By instruction, I mean the the kind of information or knowledge or training or teaching that actually serves to form a child's heart. There are things about us that we cannot change. We're made that way. We're created that way. But there are things about us that we absolutely can change and should change. And God gives us the power through the gospel to change those things. And so uh, parents are... An important tool used by Almighty God to literally fashion and form the heart of His children. And that's instruction. So instruction brings out the good. It sees the good. It wants to bring out the good and nurture the good so that children can begin to make wise decisions on their own. And the first principle, and these are kind of a smorgasbord of ideas or or parental advice or wisdom, nuggets of wisdom here we're going to look at. But the very first most important thing that God gives us to help us shape the heart of a child. Of course, we use it. We use it all the time on our own hearts, too. But when we think about children is God's word. God's word is the most important tool that parents can use to shape the hearts of their children. We read in the seventh verse of uh, chapter one in Proverbs when we first started this series that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And that's such a profound statement. It's such a countercultural statement. It's such a profound statement. But Solomon is saying that we, we have to understand life. And in order to understand life, we have to look at it and interpret it through Knowledge of who God is. We have to interpret our essence, our being, our family life, our work, our relationships, the things that happen in life that we want to happen, the things that happen that we don't want to happen. All of that needs to be seen and understood and interpreted with the knowledge of who God really is and what God is all 
all about because we may partially get some of it right on our own. But the parts that we don't get right, the parts that remain darkened or unenlightened can really mess up our lives. And have disastrous results. So knowing God is, is, is kind of the goal. It's the thing that as parents we're trying to accomplish in our children's hearts. We want to turn them to God. We want them to be formed by God. If you want some rather heavy reading, um, read Calvin's Institutes. It's, it's heavy reading, but there are incredible nuggets in there. One of the things, he kind of begins his Institutes uh, talking about the importance of the knowledge of God. If you want to know anything, he basically says you've got to start with God. You've got to start with God. You have to know God in order to even know what life is about. And we think, well, wait a minute. We, we need to start with ourselves. We need to you know, think anthropologically. Who are we and what are we all about? And he says you can't understand even yourself. Don't start with yourself. Because you can't even understand why you think the way you think or the, why you do the things you do unless you understand who God is. Because God created you. And he created all of this and it all has purpose and meaning. And there's this story that's happening and you're just a part of it. So you, you, you fit into what God is doing in the world. It's not that God fits into what we're doing or who we are, as our culture would have us to believe. A lot of the reasoning or the thinking now is that uh, for those that don't believe in any kind of God or spiritual being, and you think, well, why do so many humans turn to some form of faith or some form of spiritual help? And they'll explain it to say, well, there's just a weakness. It's a weakness of humanity. And we have this need to find comfort in things, whether they're there or not, whether they're real or not. And so we just turn to them. And that's where we get religion, the part of evolution of the mind. But God is real and God is true. And so. We, we turn to God's word and we look to God's word as we're a part of the story. So wise parenting, we need to know this to be wise parents. We need to know where even family fits in to the story. And we want our children, we want to raise our children always looking at life and interpreting life through the perspective of the existence of God. And the knowledge of God and who he really is. It just so happens that uh, we have the whole world as our classroom to do this. The whole world can be used as a, a uh, building blocks for teaching. And I know that we're used to being taught in a classroom atmosphere. But you can't contain all of God's truths. All that he wants us to know into just a, a sitting classroom setting like what we're doing right now. We have to experience it and learn it out in real life. So we think about the scripture in Deuteronomy eleven nineteen through 20. He's talking about God's word and he's talking to parents. He says, you shall teach them to your children. Talking of them when you are sitting in your house. When you're walking, by the way. When you lie down and when you rise. That just about covers all of it, doesn't it? You might be reading that and it says, when you're sitting, why well, never sit down? And how about when you're walking? Or how about when you're about to lie down? So the idea is that, that all throughout the day, 24-7, day or night, there are opportunities for parents to draw from principles, to, to draw our children's attention to the things of God and the ways of God. 
And in order to teach our children God's ways, we have to know God's ways, which means we have to know our Bibles. And the Bible's displayed in everyday life. It's displayed in the home. It's displayed out in nature. It's displayed you know, when we lay on our backs and look up into the sky. It's displayed when we're out on the field working or playing sports. There's all these opportunities for parents to prepare their children to know God, to love God, and to live for God and understand the ways of God. So one of the ways that Solomon, and this is a book written by a father to his sons to help them be wise in life. And one of the ways that Solomon does this is he observes life. And then he'll, he'll draw certain examples of what's happening out there to the son's attention. So if he sees an example of prudence or discernment or wisdom, or likewise, if he sees an example of foolishness or laziness uh, or waywardness or those that would refuse instruction, he draws that to his children's attention. Ephesians chapter 6, 4 is that um, verse that we learn as parents, especially as dads. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's that teaching. It's that forming. It's that training. It's that educating how what to look for in life, how to respond to things, how to understand things. So what shapes a heart primarily is God's word, because it's true. And we were created by God and he gives us his word to nurture our souls and to uh, help us to thrive in all of life. It's not the only means that shapes a heart. You'll know if you're a parent that there are other forces that have a powerful effect on influencing our kids. Uh, Family nurturing, the family life has a powerful effect. The friends that our kids hang out with, they they influence one another. Um, community in large at larger culture. And then, of course, church family. Church family is very important and very influential in the formation of our children's lives. I've always appreciated uh, this church and that um, we're very like minded. Many of us in the way we approach life and parenting and that. This is a place that I could always bring my kids and they could go through Sunday school and so forth. And when they come home, they're not a different person. They're not all changed. They're still the same people. And I appreciate that 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 the church can have that kind of effect on a person. But the parents are the primary means. You know, so the kids look to mom and dad and turn to mom and dad for their safety, ultimately their security, their protection and what they need for life. So if your baby is really hungry and whiny and fussy, don't bring them to the church. Give them a bottle. Bring them to mom and give them a bottle. So there's things the parents need. I mean, kids need their parents. So we shape them from Scripture. And if we're going to do that, then we need to know Scripture. A good time to know it is uh, not wait till you have kids. You say, you know what? My wife's pregnant. I probably ought to start reading the scriptures and understand what they mean because I'm going to have to teach them to my kids now. It'd be better to learn them before the kids come if possible so you know how to instruct them because they're going to need instruction pretty much from day one. I mean, the parental influence is incredible. The, the tone of voice, the songs that you'll sing, the things, the, the way the house is run. Whether it's chaotic or, or peaceful, 
infants know all these kind of things. Children know all these kind of things. So we don't want to cut God's word short. It starts from day one. And you think of that uh, verse in Hebrews when you think about just the word of God and the power that comes from the word of God. 4.12 of Hebrews, it, it, it's living. It's active. You don't get that from bedtime stories and other things that you'll read your children. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It's uh, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. Even dividing the intentions of the heart. I mean, what can penetrate a person's heart like that but God's word? And so even a child, if they're exposed to God's ways and word and they're hearing that, they're seeing it lived out, it has a very powerful impact. So we don't want to ever cut God's word short. And as parents, we want to look for every opportunity to bring it into play. Ideally, our lives, our home life and where we go, where we're on the road traveling together as families will be, uh, in, in essence, saturated with the knowledge of God. That everything will point to God, that our kids will know that everything comes from God. So, for instance, you know, in, in our house, um, our children were put down for a nap or put down for the night with a song. I didn't know that Floyd Rank wrote this song and composed this song. But uh, the song that we used to put our kids to bed with, I'm being funny, Floyd, he's looking at me all puzzled. Uh, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Yes, yeah, so even when before they could sing or speak or whatever, they they heard that tune. And then when they began to understand what words were, then they get they got to figure out. Oh, so that's what that tune was all about. And so they are being raised with that theological truth. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Very simple, very profound. And then often when they rose to face the day, it was with the words, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So another reminder, just a simple little verse, another reminder of God. So they're hearing about God all the time. They're hearing about what he is and, and what he does. And then no matter how hungry you are before you can eat in the household, we ask the blessing. Once again, we turn to who? God. And we thank him for this food. So. Eventually what happens in this kind of atmosphere is the children, as they grow, they begin to think sleep comes from God and daylight comes from God and food comes from God and mom and dad come from God. And they tell me I came from God. God must be pretty important. And so they begin to look at life through that biblical perspective. So all of these moments just pop up. And of course, parents are with the kids most of the time, the majority of the time. And so the Lord wants them to use all of these just pop up teachable moments. And you can't even count how many they could be or how many we might miss or how many opportunities we might seize through any given day. So in essence, we need as parents to be ready to do Bible college and seminary on the road or on the run at the grocery store, out on the playground, swimming in the pool. Games we play, all of these teachable moments. And, and theology in Proverbs isn't just a verbal exclamation. It's also modeled. It's also something you live out. So in essence, parents, we are living out our doctrinal, doctrinal statement. 
Our kids are watching us live out what we really believe. Because no matter what we say, we live according to how we really think life works. And so we are living doctrinal statements for our kids. Proverbs 1, 8, 9. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. And forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are graceful garland for your head and penance for your neck. In other words, hear it and do it. Don't forsake it. Don't just learn it for the sake of learning it. Learn Bible verses for the sake of learning them so you can, you know, get the candy or get the prize in Sunday school. But do what it says. So the, the word of God is the primary instrument in shaping a child's heart, instructing a child's heart. And it's a 24-7 thing. Another thing that we, that we think about as parents when it comes to instructing, I have here, is parenting in agreement. And we recently talked about, a little bit about marriage and the covenant of marriage and how one of the most important aspects of covenant is walking in agreement. And Amos 3.3 3 says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? And, of course, it's a rhetorical question. And the answer is absolutely not. If you're not both coming together, you're not looking at the same thing. One person's going this way and the other person's going that way. Then you're not walking together. And it's the same thing intellectually. It's the same thing in parenting. And the more we can agree on, the better off we are. And if you can know this before kids come, once again, you're better off. It's better off for us to be in as much agreement as possible, uh, even in parenting, before the kids come. And the reason I say that is because when the kids come, uh, they are experts at certain things. And one of the things that they're experts in is knowing how mom thinks and how dad thinks and what mom will let me do, what dad won't let me do, and vice versa. They, they learn this about us because we spend a lot of time together. We're not just... Observing them, they're observing us. And it's part of that folly that's in the kids. And they'll capitalize on it. And they'll turn us against each other. The sweet little precious hearts will turn us against each other if we're not careful in our parenting. And then next thing you know, mom and dad are fighting, losing their religion. And the kid just got what they wanted. So, you know, there's just some practical things we can do about that. And that is... Being proactive and thinking about different scenarios uh, that we may be put in so that we can make sure we are in agreement on things. So an example would be, you know, you come to church and um, Junior comes up to Dad after church. He says, can I go to Speedy's house after church? I've been invited to the Speedy family. And Dad says, well, you know, Speedy's a good guy and the family's a good Christian family. Sure, you can go over. That'd be good for you to. To do, we'll work out how to get you home later on. And so then time to leave. The family gets in the car and the wife says, where's Junior? Well, I let Junior's over at Speedy's house. He's what? Speedy's house. What's he doing at Speedy's house? Well, he asked permission very politely and I told him he could go. But I grounded him on the way to church for hitting his little sister over the head with his Bible. He wasn't supposed to go anywhere. And so now you got mom and dad at each other's throats. Junior's loving his day at Speedy's house. 
So the, the, there's a, the principle that we used to practice, I know many of you do, is, is you don't give permission for the ki- to the kids unless you know you're in agreement. So if Junior comes to you and says, can I go to Speedy's house? You say, did you ask your mother? Or did you ask your father? And uh, if they say no, then you say, you trying to get us in a fight? No, you can't go to Speedy's house. If they, maybe they'll say yes, or you might say it's okay with me if it's okay with her. But kids will play us. And we don't want to wait until we have kids to know what we're going to do because, boy, that could get pretty. We, we want to curtail it if we can and be a unified front. So maybe you're not married yet or you're married and you're still single. No kids have come along. You want to think about this, what you will do in certain situations. And one of the things that Lisa and I had fun, to, fun doing before kids came along was just observing life, observing parents and child behavior and asking ourselves, what would we do in this situation? So you're at the grocery store and there's that kid in the cart screaming, pitching a fit because they didn't get their ring pop. I mean, the whole store is tense because this child is just, uh, you know, and so we would. We would look at that. We'd ask each other, what would we do in that situation? Because you may think you're it's obvious and you're in agreement. You know, what would I do in that situation? Obviously, I'd body body slam that kid. I mean, that kid can't can't get away with this kind of stuff. And and your wife might be thinking, well, I think that they should be allowed to express, you know, whatever. So you you want to uh, before it ever happens, you want to think about these things. So you have, you're a united front. Uh, same thing we've we've seen kids throwing fits and just slapping their parents, hitting, punching their parents in the face. And what do you think about that? If that was our kid, what would you do? So there's all of these different opportunities we have before kids come along. Watch and if you see um, what you think's a cool family, a godly family, and and the kids seem to really love the Lord and. And they're obedient. And you get with those parents and ask, hey, what's the secret? What kind of things do you do here? We didn't have that in our house. We weren't Christians growing up or whatever. We want to learn from you. And that's how it works. It's a mentoring. It's a discipleship just in that. Uh, Lisa and I saw some um, people at Bible College. They already had kids, some friends of ours. And uh, some of them, we were really impressed with how they were raising their kids. We just flat out asked them, hey, how do you do that? Now, what kind of treats are you feeding these uh, kids to get them t- to do this kind of stuff? We, we want to know. And we got incredible advice. It really helped us a lot. So parenting in agreement and a united front is very important. And then another thing we need to watch out for as we are instructing our kids and loving on our kids is overprotection. Uh, you know, there's healthy love, there's healthy instruction and parenting, but there's also over protection in John 17 is high priestly prayer. The Lord prays and, and basically they're, they're in the world, but not of the world. We, we can't escape it. We, we are physically here, but we don't have to be a part of it in the sense that we live by the same values, same goals, that we treasure the same thing. And the idea behind overprotection, the reason we don't want to enter into it is because the root of it is fear. And fear is not a good thing. Fear is a destructive thing. Proverbs 29:25 says, "The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe." 
part of parenting is learning to trust God every day, 24-7. And not parent in fear and not react in fear. God does not want us to parent in fear. So we know we can't be there all the time with our kids. We try to keep them under our eye as much as possible. But we just cannot be there for every child all the time. And so the antidote, in addition to trusting God, is to teach our children discernment and wisdom so they know what to do when they're on their own, when they're faced with certain situations. That's how we don't have to parent in fear. Because we have taught them, we have instructed them, and it starts very, very early. Because if we overprotect them, being too naive can be just as harmful as living out in the world because the kids, they're, they're clueless and they don't see evil coming. They didn't know they're surrounded by it and they can be taken advantage of and manipulated. So overprotection, especially because the root is fear, is not a good thing. <clears throat> we want to help them be competent in regards to the realities of life and not escape the realities of life. And you know, you've seen it. Some parents really panic and they have kids say, oh, no, kids, unplug the TV, get rid of the computers. Don't let them go to the mailbox. Don't let them see the advertisements in the newspaper. We don't want them to hide their eyes. We're going by this billboard and, and uh, fill the pantry with survival kits. We, we don't want to let them out of the house. And if they slip out of the house, we got to wash them down with bleach and Clorox and all this kind of stuff. It's just a fear of over. Protection, But wisdom is competence in regards to the realities of life. So we're constantly training them in the safety of our own home. How to be in the world but not of it. In other words, how to be in it but not be taken by the evil and not practice the evil to remain our innocence. I'm reminded of Jesus' words in Matthew 10:16. He did not spare his disciples from the world. Because he says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. I'm sending you in to the den. Some places that you go, as my disciples, they're not safe. He says, therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. New Living Translation, don't be nerds, don't be geeks, don't be naive. Just teasing, that's my translation. (laughs) So know what's going on, see it coming, just don't participate, participate in it, maintain your innocence. And that's what we want for our kids. And things need to be age appropriate, of course, but we want to warn them of certain dangers. The Bible really tells us evil is very, very dangerous. So we've got to know about it, we've got to know something about it, we need to be able to recognize it. So it's possible to know how the world works Without practicing her evil. And that brings us to the fourth point that Proverbs is notorious for. And that's a vicarious learning or vicarious teaching or instructing, if you will. So how can we be wise as serpents but innocent as doves? Well, it's been said that experience is the best teacher. But that doesn't mean that we have to experience everything in order to really understand it or learn it. I mean... I'm not going to go out and break my leg so I know what it's like for you to have a broken leg. You know, there's things that we can learn and know about without having to experience them. And so Proverbs gives scenarios so that his son, Solomon's sons, can learn about the dangers of things and the blessings and the joys of things without personally 
experiencing them. So here's an example in Proverbs 24, 30 to 34. I pass by the field of a sluggard. So, I mean, just picture in your mind, you know, dad, he's on his way home from work. He's driving back. He's going through the farm section of town or the country. I pass by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. Behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and I considered. So he's thinking, he's observing. What lesson can I learn? What biblical principle can I learn from what I just witnessed in real life? So I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Look, it's all out there. Cause and effect, cause and effect. And he brings it home and he shares with his kids. He shares with the family. This is what I saw on my way home from work today. And it's uh, open up for discussion. Now, what do you think about this? Hey, I was driving home and I saw this farm and the grass was down to the nub and the cows were skin and bones. Some of them were dead. The buzzards flying around it. And I saw the farmer sitting on the porch just kind of enjoying his tobacco and his spittoon. And the kids were in the yard and they were they were skinny, scratching their head because they had something up living in there. They didn't have teeth. And this, you know, it was terrible. And I felt terrible for this family. They were all sickly looking. And I knew that guy growing up. And I remember he quit school in fourth grade. He was too lazy. He didn't want to do his homework. He was never too lazy to get a job. He was too lazy to find a good woman. Too lazy to take care of his kids. And, hey, is this the kind of life you want? You know, this, this is a cause and effect. This kind of stuff really, really happens. And now it's just his family's sick. His farm's run down. He inherited it. When he inherited it, it was a beautiful place. This is what happens when, you know, sleep just a little bit too much. Or a lot too much. And you don't have to go through that to experience it. We can learn it vicariously. Um, when my kids were older, they might be watching a movie or a TV show, and I used to drive them crazy. Because if I happened to be walking through the room, and I'd stop and, and see what they were watching or whatever, and if I happened to see something that was typical Hollywood fluff, sending the wrong message, I, would have, you know, I couldn't keep my mouth shut. I had to say something about it. So I'd be like, yeah, that works in real life. And it used to drive them crazy because... We watch TV and movies to do what? Veg. Turn our minds off. I don't want to have to. I just want to be fed whatever they're feeding me. This is to take a break. I don't want to think, have to think about anything. And um, so then dad comes in and messes it all up with, yeah, that works in real life or something like that. But I would call it on it if I saw something on a show or the movies. Um, maybe it was over instruction. That's not one of my points. I don't know. But uh, instead of overprotection. But, you know, you, you see how it happens. And maybe our kids need to be reminded of it, even though it might seem obvious to us. But if you're just looking at the typical Hollywood movie, what happens? Especially if it's geared towards teenagers. You got the, the real popular uh, cute guy. And then you got the real popular cute girl. 
Somehow they wind up in the same vicinity and then their eyes lock. That's it. They just happen to look at each other. And 30 seconds later, the next scene, they're in the bed, romping around, having a blast. And that's really how life works, right? So I call attention to those kind of things and say, ah, no. Or even you'll see the ones where the most popular person in school, whether it's a male or female, they have all these friends, they get to sleep with whoever they want because they're so popular. And it's just so awesome and cool. Wouldn't it be great to be like that and to have so many people want us like that? It's not real life. Follow that person home from school. And you'll probably notice that they don't go home. They went to the doctor's office for their diseases that they got for that kind of lifestyle. I mean, these are the real life thing. And we can we can believe the lies of Hollywood, especially our kids, if we are not because it's it's reputation repetition in the wrong direction. And we can start to believe the lies. That's part of formation. And then my last point is repetition. You know, if you've read the book of Proverbs, and I'm sure you have, one thing you'll notice is you keep reading the same thing again and again. You think, whoa, wait a minute, is this a typo? Is this a scribal error? Didn't I just read this almost word for word, the very same thing? Is it a mistake? No. Well, if they would take all the repetition out, I could read it in one sitting. And now I just got it. It goes on and on and on because it repeats itself. It purposely repeats itself. Because the things that are important we need to hear Time and time again. Why? Because we forget. Adults forget. Kids forget. And that's how you learn important things by uh, repetition. And the kids don't mind it so much. Think about the bedtime stories. It's time to go to bed. They come in. Can you, will you read me a story? Sure. Go get a book. Nine times out of ten, they're going to get you the same book. And then after you read it through, will you read it again? They don't mind repetition of things that they like. So repetition is very, very important. It's a good thing. Just like having fire drills when I was growing up in school. Never did we have a fire in any of our schools. But I knew how to get out of the school in case there was a fire. It was preparation in case the real thing ever happened. So repetition, we had it down. And that's how we prepare our kids. We... We can quiz them all the time about righteousness and evil, about about God, you know, repetition. How many gods are there? One is uh, is it right for that person to be reading the Book of Mormon? How does God speak to us? You know, through Holy Scripture. So there's just opportunities all the time to be uh, repetitive in the most important truths. How do we get saved? Are we perfect? Do we need salvation? How do we get saved? God provided his one and only son. So these are, this is kind of a smorgasbord of instruction. We'll look at correction next time. But repetition. We're going to do something this morning that is repetition. And actually, um, Jesus' own words do this in remembrance of me. So once a month, that's what our church has chosen to do. It is to constantly, repetitively remember the gospel of Christ. We can't do it too much. We can't hear enough about it. We also have an opportunity this morning to worship God. As the worship team can come forward, we're going to worship the Lord. And as we worship the Lord, I just pray that uh, you would allow God to minister to your heart. 
You know, this was a message on parenting, but the Word of God is so is powerful and living and active. No matter where you are in life, you can receive from God and be ministered to by the living God this morning. So let's go to the Lord in a time of worship. And may He bless the preaching of His Word and the worship of His saints. Amen.